0: Welcome to the Debunking Your Growth
1: Mindset podcast with Sean McCainbridge. In this podcast, we will unpack practical ways to help you grow and build on your current mindset and challenge old habits so you can see the potential that's within us all and learn how to get out of your own way. Hey guys, just a quick intro. Uh, The best title I could find for this podcast is Mastering the Mind. So we've got uh, performance psychologist Jonah Oliver. Um, his original podcast was one of the most popular. And uh, he's a performance psychologist for sporting teams, athletes, business leaders, actors, and surgeons uh, uh, around how to operate at your best and navigate the challenges that come our way. And then we've got uh, Whistler-based out of Canada, Jenna molly along, along uh, who's an NLP guru or Neurolinguistics Programming guru. Um, put simply, that's the study of success and how to replicate this. Uh, she's also a motivational speaker and world-renowned author. Again, another super popular podcast that she did with us. So I trust you guys will enjoy and hope that you're making the most of the current COVID situations. Cheers.
0: Gina Molly long uh, NLP practitioner and expert. Um, she, I first come across Gina when I undertook a course in the, I guess the high level overview of NLP. Um, NLP, I hear you guys say, what is it? So neuro-linguistic programming. So the way that she describes it is the study of success and how to replicate this. Uh, and I guess another way to maybe quickly describe what NLP is, is it's essentially a lot of the framework or methodology that Tony Robbins utilizes in his teachings. Um, so, yeah, she's become a, a coach uh, for myself and Robin, my business partner, my wife at times. Uh, she's done some coaching sessions with our wider leadership team and wider business, which has been great. Uh, so really, really interesting. I think that whole sort of notion of NLP. So if you haven't checked that out, I urge you to do a bit of research. Um, a bunch of stuff that I've taken over time, I mean, way too much to – to talk about uh, in a short segment, but um, yeah, she sort of the, the, the I guess the one phrase that sort of comes to mind uh, with Gina, and uh, the quote that sort of smacks you in the face is this quote of "How you do anything is how you do everything," and I guess the best way to sort of describe that is sort of patterns of behavior or habits. Uh, you know, often you know, if you're great in a certain aspect of life, then you know, uh, you know, there's a good chance that you know, if you replicate Similar sort of approach, uh, whether it's structure, organisation, uh, etc., that could work in the home front, but it could also work in the um, the uh, professional context as well. So, and equally, if you're lazy, unorganised, unstructured, don't follow through personally, yeah, that could also transcend into the professional world. So, I think that's just a quick sort of snapshot of that and, and my personal experiences. I think there was a time when I thought I could be structured, organised, and coordinated at work but become quite sort of laid back and unstructured uh, in the home context, I found that uh, that really struggled because one would often transcend into the other and was often the unorganized approach at home into the work uh, environment. So now I uh, try and be a lot more structured and organized and coordinated on both fronts and I feel like adopting that consistent strategy across both works for me whereas before it certainly wasn't working for me. So that's the, that's the first thing. Uh, that comes to mind. Next thing is the notion of conscious and unconscious minds, uh, or conscious and unconscious brains, if you like. Um, so you, you may have heard the, uh, I guess the description that your conscious brain, uh, is your, uh, goal setter and your unconscious brain is your, uh goal getter. So conscious brain is obviously the the thoughts, the, the you know everything else that sort of comes with that that you're conscious of. Uh your unconscious brain is pretty much, I guess, you know, the best way to describe maybe is the, the hard drive that stores everything from every experience uh, ever in your life. And uh you're not always conscious of certain things. For example, there might be a childhood memory that you've forgotten about or a smell from the past. And you haven't experienced that for a long, long time. Then all of a sudden, you experience that, and then boom, it sort of reinvokes that uh, that uh, emotional feeling that you had way back then. And then I guess also, uh, intuition is largely based off your unconscious mind. So you might intuitively feel like there's a certain way to go. That's because maybe your unconscious mind has. Uh, drawing on previous experiences and situations and everything else like that to guide you towards a a certain sort of direction. So I guess my personal experience with conscious and unconscious mind is that of building rapport and I think uh, when I was younger I was often guilty of saying I'm going to do this, uh, set this goal, pursue this goal and then when push comes to shove I really didn't do the work or make the effort to make that goal uh, a reality. Um, so I think uh, at that point in time, I probably, uh, whenever I said I was going to do something uh, with my conscious mind, I don't think my unconscious mind really believed that that was possible because there's so much broken trust, so many broken promises between the two. I never followed through um, or really followed through. Now, much more uh, mindful that I don't care who I keep my word to externally. I mean, of course I do, but the most important thing is keeping my word to myself. So if I say I'm going to get up early and do the training or if I say I'm going to do whatever, uh, take on that big challenge or speaking opportunity or whatever the case is, I follow through with it. And I think over time I've built a lot of rapport uh, between that uh, conscious and unconscious mind to the point where – I think there's a high degree of trust, and if I say I'm going to do something challenging or complex, I think my unconscious mind is totally bought into the fact that there's every chance this guy is going to do it. So um, more on the podcast on that. Uh, another thing that really sort of jumps out is that of timeline therapy. It's really, I guess, uh, I'll do my best to describe what that is. It's uh, the process of time is linear, as in, you know, if you were to draw a, a, a line from Left to right of the page, that may represent time in terms of present to future, is how it's sort of best described. So, time on therapy is you sort of uh, run yourself along that time into the future and look back at an event that hasn't yet taken place, with a sense of being proud, confident, satisfied with how something has gone. I let's just use public speaking as an example. So most people look. F- to an event that's, you know, not yet happened, and they get anxious and, and there's a level of anxiety and concern and how it's going to go, so there's anxiety. If you follow a timeline therapy, uh, as per Genius Coaching, you sort of, before that event, you take yourself beyond the event, looking back at the event with a sense of pride, satisfaction, confidence that the event's gone well, uh, which is kind of a way of, you know, fooling uh, or tricking or hacking yourself that the event's already happened and gone well, therefore there's no anxiety, no fear, just a sense of accomplishment. So uh, it's a tool or a technique that you can utilize to dissipate anxiety and, uh, and hopefully transform one of looking forward to an event with anxiety to looking back at an event before it's already happened, you know, with a sense of you know, confidence and all the rest of it. And in that state, the more confident, relaxed state, you try and carry that to the event. Um, I, I guess almost for the second time, if that kind of makes sense, because you've already played that out in the mind. And I guess uh, maybe a, a variation, uh, but similar uh, line of thinking in that is there was the famous archer, I forget his name, that did uh, a certain amount of physical training, but he did the majority of his training just training in his mind of pulling the bow back, releasing the arrow, hitting the target. He become world champion by training, you know, much less physically than his uh, fellow competitors. But he, in his mind, uh, he had trained hitting that bullseye countless times. Um, so maybe that's a good sort of example of it as well. Uh, the next one is, uh, another interesting and maybe complex theory, but it certainly makes sense when, you know, you get to the heart of it. So the reticular activating system, uh, or activator system. Put simply, it's uh, you tend to uh, see and get what you focus on. So real simple, uh, one is, uh, for example, you're looking to buy a new car. There's a special certain type of car, whether it's a Toyota Corolla, Toyota Hilux, um, whatever it is that uh, you're looking at, it, all of a sudden you drive places and you see them everywhere. And uh, or it might be a new pram or a new bike or whatever. It's because your mind's become open and, and conscious of seeing uh, that. Um, so you're more attuned to seeing, uh, you know, finding or seeing that. Um, I guess the same could be said of if you're looking for negativity or positivity or solutions or whatever, your brain's primed in that regard. And there's a really cool video. I'll try and find that video to sort of accompany the podcast. Whereby, uh, there's a video and, uh, it's a group of people and they're throwing around this basketball. There's about six people throwing around this basketball. And the video is, see how many times you can count, uh, past the ball being passed. So you're tuning in, you're focusing really hard. You're like, count, 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 count. And then you're like, okay, I got to 25 or whatever it is. And then the video, well, that, that portion of passing pass And then they go, who picked up the moonwalking bear in the background? and no one ever sees the moonwalking bear in the background because our brain was focused wholly and solely on counting how many passes. But you watch it for the second time, and you obviously relax your eyes off the passing, and you look for the moonwalking bear, and surely enough in the background, it's uh, moonwalking. So it just sort of shows uh, if you prime your brain towards something, you, you, you tend to focus and see that. And I guess it's back to the, the old uh, quote, where your focus goes, your energy flows. So, and last but not least, um, uh, with Gina and NLP, she talks about the power of choice and cause and effect. So, um, let's go cause and effect first. That might set us up for choice. So, uh, cause and effect is uh, you're either at cause or you own everything that's happened to you, i.e. everything you've ever done, every decision you've ever made has put you in the seat uh, or the position that you are right now. Good, bad or indifferent decisions, that's obviously guided you to where you are now. Uh, versus, So you're at cause, you totally own, You know whether you're in a good place or a bad place, you're fit, you're not fit, you're successful, you're not successful, you just say, well, I own that, every decision I've ever made has put me in that position. The flip side is uh, one where, oh, poor me, uh, you know, the economy, my parents, my upbringing, my friends, my health, my this, where you're basically, uh, I guess, uh, a victim to, uh, I guess, every circumstances, you're stuck in effect to everything that's happened to you. So you sort of feel helpless, you feel out of control. Um, so one's more of owning you know, and and, and having a sense of control or ownership about where you are and where you could go, and the other one's a sense of I'm helpless, I'm at the mercy of whatever happens to me. So that's that sort of notion of being at cause or stuck in effect. Uh, And with that, I guess, building on that a little bit is just that notional power of choice. So I don't know what a good example of this is off the top of my head, But, yeah, here's a good one. It's just popped into my head. So I uh, did a boxing fight once, uh, twice now, but the first time I did it, uh, the first time I did some genuine sparring with uh, a fellow boxer, uh, I after 45 seconds I was completely exhausted, gassed, uh, to be honest, probably filled with nervous energy, anxiety, uh, you know, probably a bit of fear, totally out of control. And I said to myself, wow, you know, after 45 seconds, shit, I don't know if – This is for me, I got back to the car, and when I was driving back to the office, I was like, I don't know if this is for me, sort of thinking, can I sort of create some, I was meant to do this corporate fight, can I create some excuse or reason just to not do something and take on this challenge? Um, And that was a genuine consideration for me, but in the end, I told myself, I'm not going to go down that path of shying away from this challenge, or even though it scared the shit out of me, if I'm honest, uh, I then chose to take on the fear, take on the challenge, prepare push myself out of the comfort zone and all the rest. So I chose to take on the challenge and have a crack, even though it was well outside my comfort zone, uh, versus choose to avoid it. So I guess, you know, uh, our choices are powerful. And in that instance, I chose to go one way versus another. So many other takeaways. uh, uh, You know, I've got a long-standing relationship with Jana, and I think if you listen to the podcast, you'll really enjoy it.
1: Joan Rolliver is a performance psychologist. He works with executives, he works with actors, surgeons, uh, and athletes, and he's a, a Gold Coast based individual that we first come across at the Brisbane Broncos presentation an amazing individual that really sort of helps people achieve or become their best version or achieve the things that are really important to them. The podcast, is just so many interesting takeaways in that from, again, little things like normalizing anxiety. And he the way he sort of uh references that he goes when you go for a run and you get lactic acid you don't freak out and stress and go oh my god what's what's going on well, you, you just know that it's normal so he talks about the fact that anxiety to a certain extent is normal and we don't need to label that as a negative thing. You know, sometimes yeah, a bit of anxiety is good. It's, it's, it's a sign that you're either focusing on the wrong things or it's a sign that you're focusing on the right things. And, you know, it's a big occasion and all that sort of stuff. He also within that gives some tools or techniques to diffuse anxiety. So he talks about labeling anxiety. So he uses the example of, uh, I think, some of the AFL teams he works with. And uh, he just used the simple exercise. When you start to feel a bit anxiety, you just label it, which sort of diffuses it as in, oh, out, anxiety, my, my old pal, my old friend. You, you've arrived. I thought you'd show up about, around about now. And, and Jonah, even though he's a, a psychologist, he said he uses that technique sometimes before he goes on to speak. And just labeling it sort of takes a bit of a power away from it Uh, diffuses that a little bit. So he goes into that in a little bit more detail, but I think I've had a lot of feedback around the fact that anxiety and and those sorts of things are a pretty common thing for everyone. No one's really immune to it, so it is normal, but then he sort of goes into some really great techniques or tools to sort of diffuse that or or help uh, refocus that. So I think that was really, really good. He also talks about being comfortable with discomfort, And the fact that you regret things a bit like um, Justin Langer talked about the pain of discipline is nothing like the pain of disappointment, but also linking uh, discomfort uh, to the service of something important, meaningful. And the example he uses is if I was to ask you at a motivational conference or whatever to simply get up and walk across a pathway of glass uh, would you do that? And most people would say, of course not. You know, It's, it's uh, stupid, it's, uh, it's going to be immensely painful and there's just no way I'd do it. But he then said, if I rephrase this and say that if you walk across that uh, pathway of glass, you and all your friends and family and everyone important to you will have the most amazing life, they'll be happy for the rest of the time and they'll have the most meaningful and incredible life. If you can do that, would you do that? And I think, you know, most people would would generally have a, a crack at that, uh, that. So that just sort of shows that you've got to at times, you know, when you are going through discomfort or whatever the case is, you've got to link it to something meaningful. And I guess the best example that just sort of popped into my head uh, for me that, I've been able to use that in the past. Is I've only done one marathon, and I'm about to do another one. But I was warned in preparation that halfway in a marathon is 32 k's, about 32 k's. Now a full marathon's 42 kilometers. Now I'm not that great at math, but when that person said, you know, halfway is 32, um, I knew it wasn't quite right. But they said. You will often—it's uh, a common uh, hurdle or mental or physical barrier when you get to that mark that you really start to struggle and suffer. So I definitely fell into that. I was feeling pretty fresh and pretty good up until that point. I fell into that, and I just—you know—I just had nothing. I wanted to give up. But the only way I could sort of find a way forward was my daughter had just been born, Sophie, and my nana was uh, going through a tough time with cancer. And I just said to myself, these two things and, and this was the way to sort of move forward. It was whatever pain I'm going through right now is nothing compared to what my, my net is going through. And I said to myself, the other thing was I wanna wait, I wanna make my uh, just getting a bit emotional, but I wanna get my I wanna make my daughter proud. So I, I had two al- alternating comments in my mind. One was Nana and the other one was Sophie and that was, you know, I guess uh, a tool that I used to create some meaning out of that discomfort. It wasn't, even though my brain was telling me and my mind was tempting me to give up and uh, and stop and walk, I just said Sophie Nana, Sophie Nana, Sophie Nana for those last 10Ks. So I got there, I didn't stop, um, but I guess that just sort of ties back to that notion of, of using a strategy to get through that discomfort and I knew that I would regret Things if I didn't push through in that uh, endeavor to complete my first marathon. So, there's uh, something from Jonah. He talks about values based decision making and that your goals should be linked to your values and perhaps, you know, not just linked to an outcome. So, an example he used maybe in the podcast or maybe in the presentation he did at the Broncos or he did a stellar event. Was talk about a mountaineer, someone who's, um, you know, seeking to summit mountains. And one person is all about reaching the summit, and the other person has a, a driver around being true to my values. And that's about adventure, perseverance, getting out of my comfort zone, and prevailing no matter what comes at me. So he uses the example that calamity hits weather comes in the person that's all about just reaching the summit that's their sole focus the outcome you know of of doing that when that hits perhaps there's an inclination for that person to go well look if it's bad weather it could jeopardize my potential to get to the top I'm not gonna jeopardize or risk that outcome so I'll retreat and then he talks about the other individual that, uh, his values are persevering, finding a way, getting out of the comfort zone, and finding a way. But being, being true to your values in those moments is, you know, despite putting yourself at risk, is to find a way forward. So he said that you're way more likely to persevere and prevail if you're true to your values and you're clear on your values and making decisions that are consistent with your values. And coincidentally, I I have heard, and I can't quite place it right now, but I have heard that the people that are most unhappy in their life are those that are clear on their values or where they want to go, but their life or their behaviours or their actions aren't consistent with those values or that vision of the future, and they're the people that struggle the most. So I think that essence of being clear on your values is just so, so important. He talks about the benefits of mindfulness and how simple that is, and uh, you know I think in, in essence he says that mindfulness is slowing the brain down and narrowing your center of focus. He talks about the fact that in this day and age there's just so many distractions, so many things co- competing for our attention, but he talked about the fact that it can be very very simple. He talks about some of the Le Mans race car drivers that he works with, and 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 going 300 Ks an hour or more down the back straight, mindfulness can be as simple as just taking a sip of water and following that sort of sensation of cold water into your mouth, down your uh, throat, et cetera. Just that moment of slowing the brain down and narrowing that center of focus can have a a big impact. And, And again, he has it grounded in science around the impacts that can have in your IQ, stress response, impact on anxiety. And again, that sort of ties back to, you know, one of those uh, regular habits or practices uh, that uh, was true in um, Tim Ferriss's book, Tools of Titans. He talks about mental recovery and he talks about the fact that in sport, you know, after a big, big game, they might have a day of recovery. So they sort of back off a little bit to sort of regenerate and, and come good, so to speak. But he said generally in life and business or other aspects, we don't often allow ourselves that day of recovery or moment of recovery to regenerate and recharge after the big board presentation or the big pitch to, you know, take the business to the next level or make an acquisition or whatever the case is. So taking some of those learnings from sport around recovery and taking that to enable us to become better, you know, I guess the best example I can use in that regard is pre-kids, I used to take my laptop home every weekend. I would almost always do some work. And there was times when I used to rock up on Monday when I didn't feel very recharged. I still felt a little bit stressed. Now with kids and kids sport and, you know, all that sort of stuff, I often don't get the chance to take that laptop out. And with that, I feel a little bit guilty. But I think in retrospect, I always feel mentally recharged come Monday because I've had that mental break from work. So I actually think, in essence, I'm better for it. So maybe that's a bit of a personal example in that regard. He talks about fitness and the impact that fitness can have. And uh, I think it's scientifically proven that uh, regular fitness activity is as or more effective than antidepressants for mental health. So he talks about that, that being the first thing. But he said at the very least, if you've got a desire to become the best you are in any aspect of life, you know, just making time for fitness is an enabler for you to become the very best version of yourself you can in terms of impact on your sleep, you know, your wider health benefits and all those sorts of things. So I guess my experience with that is there's uh, a lot competing for our time. Uh, you can't find the time. you got to make the time. And I guess with that, I know that I'm a better human being and my wife would back that up when I'm exercising. Uh, It just keeps me a bit more calm, balanced. I sleep better, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It manages all the energy I've got going around. But I think uh, I I just take this view that something's always better than nothing. So sometimes even if I've only got a 20-minute window, I go for the run I go to the gym but I always feel better for it so again that's just part of my regular routine a bit like meditation and some of these other things if I'm not exercising you know four to five times at a minimum a week then there's something wrong with me I I just don't feel as good so plenty to cover in in, uh, Jonah's podcast arguably one of the more popular ones that we did so there's some fantastic insights there